Hey guys, this is Pastor Zach, and you are listening to Sermon Notes here at HPC. So, Luke chapter 1. If you know Luke chapter 1, then you know uh, why Pastor John is coming on the stage right now. Uh, Because this is a two-part... Would you just stay up here and help me preach, John? Just kidding. The deal is this. I, when I was a younger man, this, this church started when I was only uh, 52 years of age and um, 12 years ago. And so, just kidding. But as a younger guy, I, I got so tired of the cliche of like, well, at Easter, we've got to preach on the resurrection. And at Christmas, we've got to preach on Christmas. And, you know, at, you know all, whatever else is seasonally appropriate, we're always trying to fit the, the context of the scripture in with the context of our lives. And I, I kind of revolted against that. And if you were here in the first half a dozen years or something of the church, you would see me like I would intentionally not preach on Christmas around Christmas time. But as I've grown a little bit, uh, I feel like I've actually gotten more rebellious. But the Lord has also tuned my heart to reach for deeper things, to find a longer rope and dip it into a deeper well and know that the reason why we need to get into Christmas at Christmas time is because the people of God, we need our hearts and our minds and our lives on the deeper thing. Not just the story, not just the figurines on your mantle and not just the, uh, the Christmas carols or the whatever else that makes us feel good. This isn't just, I told the first church, it's not just a little chicken soup for your soul here to read through the Christmas story. This is because the Lord wants us seated at a table and consuming the meat of his word, the depths of what transforms our lives. Amen. Good. So put your seatbelt on. Luke chapter 1, we're going to begin reading in verse 26. It says this, Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth, to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph, of the descendants of David. And the virgin's name was? Oh, you guys know this story. And coming in, he said to her, Greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was very perplexed, imagine that, at this statement, and kept pondering what kind of salutation this was. Verse 30 says that the angel says to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. But Mary said to the angel, how can this be, since I am a virgin? I love Mary's response here because it's so much like ours. Like you're in a room with an angel, okay? You're in a room with an angel who is talking to you about the most insane thing, the, the, the craziest fulfillment of prophecy that could have ever happened in all of, since the Lord started speaking thousands of years ago, we've been looking for this day, for this Messiah. And somebody told me once, well, Mary wouldn't have been that scared or that crazy because, you know, it wouldn't have been that weird because she had grown up in Jewish culture hearing the stories, the messianic prophecies and stories. So she would just be like, oh, it must be me. I don't care if Mary grew up in the, in the synagogue I don't care if Mary was there going all the way back to the Garden of Eden. She would have been perplexed. In fact, Scripture says she was perplexed 
at this salutation. So just for a minute, appreciate the fact that she's taking all this in, but what she says, she says, how can this be since I'm a virgin? And what I want to do is I want to just be there in the room with her and ask her a question. I want to ask Mary this, even if you weren't, even if you had already been married and you're kind of like, you've already got the minivan and the car seats, even if, even if you already had had some kids, how in the world are you going to have a son who reigns forever? How, how are you going to have a son whose kingdom has no end? We get it. You're a virgin. You've, we get it. You're not married yet. But that is a natural problem. There is a supernatural piece of this that requires some addressing. And saints, I have to ask the question, how many times do we have a natural solution to a supernatural problem? How many times do we have natural doubts or excuses to spiritual assignments? Because, I mean, if we're being real, I am that guy. Like, like we quickly do the math, don't we? And, and actually, and as good as I, as I am at coming up with reasons of why something doesn't work, my wife is even better at it. And so it's like we a lot of times play out the Gabriel Mary thing with us. You know, I put on the white dress with the <laughs> wings. And, um, and she's got like all the reasons of why whatever it is that I am saying to her can't happen because she's like a realist. She's pragmatist. She's like gets, you know, she, she can figure things out naturally. And so I think sometimes every one of us, the entire human race is plagued with this disease called logic. And, and what happens is we, we use that against the very nature of why God does what he does. When the Lord wants to do something supernatural, saints, he's often looking for the one in whom it could not happen naturally. When the Lord wants to do something supernatural, he is not just, he didn't just coincidentally happen on somebody who was not married yet and still a virgin. No, he sought someone out, not just for the purity of, of, you know, we say, oh, well, the immaculate thing and she was a virgin. There's all this emphasis on how she hadn't been with Joseph yet. But, but the real favor that was on her was in her ability to recognize that this thing could not happen without God. And that's our strength today. When we can come back to that place and realize, wait a minute, whatever it is that he wants, you know, yes, my flesh will do exactly what Mary's did and immediately arrive at this conclusion. Well, I can't have a baby yet, and let me tell you why. Instead of, wait a minute, even if I could... Even if I could come up with something, some natural way to address this spiritual assignment, it would fall wildly short of what's actually being told to me, that his kingdom will have no end, and he will reign forever. You remember the story of Abraham and Sarah. There was a spiritual assignment on Abraham. To, to give birth to a, a, a lineage, a legacy that would be a nation through which this Messiah would come. But there was a natural problem. Sarah was 90. The ship had sailed. And so Abraham made that same mistake that we often make. He met that spiritual assignment with a natural solution in the form of his 
wife's maidservant, Hagar. And together he and Hagar, outside the will of God, conceived Ishmael, who would father the Islamic race. And here's the truth, saints. A natural answer to a spiritual question will frustrate and hinder the divine work that you've been called to. You're better off to not do anything. In fact, that's kind of the key. (laughs) And it's incredibly impossibly hard because you have to, to quench everything inside of you that wants to rise and meet it. But if you're writing anything down for this first point, just say it's supernatural. It's supernatural. It has to be supernatural. He's constantly bringing us to a place of of, of dependency and desperation where we cannot accomplish this thing on our own. It has to be supernatural. Now, the angel's getting ready to explain it to her because God's grace, God's just so good. And so... She says, how can this be? I'm a virgin. And the angel says, the angel's got this thing figured out. He knows how it works. He says to her, thought you might ask. The Holy Spirit will come upon you, in verse 35, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. Hmm. Okay. Let's dig. You've heard it a million times before. Oh, you'll conceive this because the Holy Spirit will come upon you and and the power of the Most High will overshadow you and that's how it's going to happen. Oh, okay. (laughs) Let me remind you that Pentecost had not happened yet. We are still 33 and a half years from the mighty rushing wind and the tongues of fire falling and the speaking in tongues and the going out into the streets. And we're, we're still, in fact, where we are on the timeline is what we just said during worship. We are right at the tail end of four centuries of nothing from heaven. Oh, the Holy Spirit's going to come upon me. Oh, really? And the power of the Most High. And saints, again, to those of you in the room and you're in that season, you're in that place where you haven't been hearing the Lord the way you want to. Or maybe you've been beating on heaven and it's been made of brass, whatever it is. Know this, that when he comes, (laughs) it's gonna be supernatural. So the Holy Spirit will come upon you. All right. Let's talk about that word, that Greek word that is translated in most of our Bibles as something along the lines of come upon. Um, It literally means to supervene. Supervene is not a word that we use commonly either, but uh, supervene means that it will come as a consequence or in contrast to something else that's happening. Now, usually when we interact with the Lord, we're asking for an intervention, right? Anybody prayed for an intervention? A divine intervention. I need an intervention. That's what I need. Honestly, I think it's too much reality television that we've like, we we like the idea of, of taking someone in whom there's something we don't like, gathering a bunch of other people who don't like the same thing about said someone, putting them all in a room and making that someone feel really awkward about themselves. That's an intervention. And then we ask God to help us do that. (laughs) 
An intervention is, is when God acts as a mediator. And we constantly want God to be this mediator between us and the, and the problem. We want him to be this bridge and help reconcile us with something with which there's some issue. And that becomes the majority of our prayer life. We need him to intervene in the area of our marriage or our finances or our prodigals or our, you fill in the blanks, whatever it is, our health or whatever. We, we ask for an intervention, but the, the deal is when God shows up to Mary, it is not an intervention. There was no problem. Mary's life was in order. She was a young woman engaged to a godly man, ready to be married, doing it the right way. But the interesting thing about a supervention is that it's the following or beginning of something unforeseen or unpredictable. We want God to intervene for our desired result. But God wants to supervene and result as our desire. We already want something. Again, back to your prayer life. If you keep a prayer journal, you know, what you're writing down in essence are things that you want, things that you're praying for, things that you're believing God for, things that you're hoping he'll intervene and accomplish. But what's so crazy about this is that, is that when, when we want that, that intervention, so, so, our, so we get our desired result, but God wants to supervene, do something unforeseen or unpredictable and ultimately result with him as our desire. One of the most misused and abused scriptures. God will give you the desires of your heart. <laughs> and I remember hearing it going all the way back. And I was, I was a kid. Uh, I mean, probably, it was probably like late high school hearing my youth pastor talk about this. And I'm, I'm hearing it like we always hear it. God will give you the desires of your heart. And I'm listening to it, and it's like, without even searching for it or asking for it, I've, I sensed the Lord say to me, you know that's not what this is really about, right? You know that's not what that really means, right? And of course, me, cocky as ever, you know? I'm like, yeah, I know. <laughs> but, but what were you thinking it meant? <laughs> just, so, just so we're on the same page. Like, I'm just saying, like, if it was, I just want to hear the way that you would what it really means is not that God will give you whatever you desire. He will give you what to desire. He will give you the right thing to long for. He will give you, he will, with the regeneration of the heart comes the renewal of the passions of the heart. And whatever your heart desires, when it comes into alignment with the spirit of God, you begin to long for what heaven longs for. And now your prayer life begins to reflect not what you ever wanted, but what God wanted for you and from you and through you. And so it's so important that when we go seeking an intervention, that we're allowing the Lord to railroad us because that's what supervention really is. Mary's plans were railroaded. When the Holy Spirit showed up, her plans were railroaded. But saints, the outcome was greater than any blessing she could have ever imagined. God wants a supervention. And he wants to supervene and result as our desire. 
more than I want anything else in the world. God, I want you. More than I want any other fulfillment or, or uh, accomplishment or to attain anything. I want you. I want you. That, that's why there was a throne for Jesus to sit on in the first place is because God found a man in David whose heart was just for him, who longed just for him. There's a throne I can work with. There's a guy I can work with. There's something that will last forever because the truth is even the things that we want, even when they're good things, they're temporary. They come and then they go. But what God wants is eternal and he wants to tie us into an eternal story, a legacy of redemption and hope and glory and kingdom coming. His ways are higher than our ways. So if you thought God would do this, it was an intervention. But if he surprised you, it was a supervention. Let's keep reading. Verse 35, uh, so after it says he'll come upon you, he'll supervene. Then he says this, and the power of the most high will overshadow you. Now, I love that line. I love this idea that Mary is going to be overshadowed. It's a strange way for this conception to be, um, to be described. But that word overshadow, it comes from a Greek word, episkiazo. And episkiazo literally means to envelop in a haze of brilliancy. See, this is the odd thing. The shadow actually creates a place where light becomes even brighter. We think shadow and we think dark, right? In fact, most often the idea of being in someone else's shadow or in the shadow of something, it's not usually in a positive connotation, it's like, oh, well, that, you know, poor Zach, he had to grow up in his sister's shadow. You know, she was a better singer and looked better and more talented and, you know, all those other things. I had two really smart sisters and I was just always in their shadow. I hope you guys are watching. <laughs> I'm not going to name any names, but it's Lynette and Candy. And uh, I love them. But they were phenomenal. And I was just a kid, you know? I was the youngest of three. My sister Lynette was like, she, she's a genius and got like a full ride to Chapel Hill in nursing school. She's just so smart all the time, so responsible, classic oldest child. Anybody sick of the oldest child in your family? <laughs> My God, it's like, Lily, come on. I mean, just a- answer the altar call already. They're so responsible and they're like outshining the parents in terms of like maturity. And you're like, yeah, Kurt, you should probably be down here too. <laughs> and, uh, and then there's the middle child and she's just the peacemaker. And it's just like, you know what, no matter what fight is going on, she comes in with like flowers in her hair, strumming a guitar. And you know, it's like the next thing you know, we're all singing Kumbaya when we were just at each other's throats and it was just about to get good. <laughs> I grew up overshadowed. Usually we think of it in this negative sense. But when the Lord says you will be overshadowed, it doesn't mean this dark place. It means that you will be enveloped in a haze of brilliancy. But this is where it gets real good. 
That word, episkiazo, is made up of these two words. And if you dig deep into the history and etymology of that word, what you find is that at its root, it literally means to superimpose order. You're not ready for that. I know, I didn't make this up. Guys, this is in there. You know what I'm saying? Not, the, not, not your grandpa's Christmas story, all right? To superimpose order. So we started with supernatural, but in order for the supernatural to happen, we needed supervention. But in order for supervention to actually result in what heaven wants, there has to be a superimposition of order. Not your order, not Mary's order. You know what's crazy? Like I just said, Mary's order was good. She was doing it the right way. She was checking all the boxes in the right order. And yet at the end of the day, she's railroaded wise so that a greater order could be rested upon her life. A greater order could conceive something eternal within her womb. When the angel shows up and says, you're favored, he actually says it twice. And I, I want to give you a working definition of what it means to be favored. Because favored is one of those things that's just like brutally adulterated in evangelical spheres and sects. Uh, it's, you know, we've, we've turned it into this prosperity gospel and just all this gross stuff that is like, what are we doing? We're missing it. Can we get to the heart of God? What does favored mean? I'm going to tell you in Zach's words, not in the Bible. Blessable. It means that you are blessable. When you are favored, you're on a list of, and you could say, you could argue with me and say, well, Zach, isn't that a pretty good blessing just to be on the list of eligibly blessable? Then yes, yeah, that is a blessing. But I think a lot of times we stop at favored when what it takes to go from favored to step into the real blessing of God is exactly what Mary's posture was, surrender and submission. Because guess what? She could have said no. This, this message was not, hey, listen, I'm just giving you a heads up. The Lord's going to come in here and have his way with you, whether you like it or not. He's going to do his thing and just, you know, grin and bear it. But that's not how the Holy Spirit works. He's a gentleman. And in fact, I wonder sometimes how many other young women maybe received a similar message but said, yeah, I don't think I can do the whole, I can't, no. Find somebody else. There's a girl at the end of the block. Her name's Mary. She's probably who you're looking for. She's more your speed. I wonder how often we become the Susie or the Sally or the Meredith before the Mary. How often do we become the innkeeper? The one who says, yes, you know, that census thing. I just, I don't... It's not really a good time. Your kingdom's gonna come anyway, so just come out back when what he wants to do is come over and overshadow you. Mary was surrendered and submitted to God, and so she was favored. She was blessable. And saints, the truth is that the greatest blessing is having heaven's order superimposed on us and our plans. By the way, it doesn't have to mean wiped. It doesn't have to mean completely scrapped. Mary still is, is engaged to Joseph. And because Joseph is having his own interaction with an angel, uh, uh, we see him 
follow through and, and you know, deal with whatever, you know, social repercussions there were to marry someone who was pregnant before the marriage took place. But we can think of all sorts of social stigmas and, and uh, issues, reputational issues. We can come up with a million reasons of why, yeah, now's not really a time for me to be supervened or my plans to be changed. Now's not really a good time for any other order to be superimposed. This is the first time in my life when things are actually going well. <laughs> Anybody ever have that excuse? Things are going really good right now. So, you know, I really need to kind of like stay steady. It doesn't mean that your plans have to be wiped. In Mary's case, it was just rearranged. The same things were gonna happen, but in a different order. In fact, so much about this pregnancy would look like any other. It'd be uncomfortable. Long distance travels on donkey backs were not ideal, you know? Giving birth in a, in a less than sanitary, you know, environment was not ideal. Like there were a lot of things about this that just, you know, were not picturesque. And I think sometimes that we think when God starts talking to us about the supernatural and then when he shows up and begins to supervene and then when his order, we submit and surrender and his order is then superimposed on our lives, we think that we're like in, in, in the seventh layer of heaven and glory is, should be happening and then we're still having you know, morning sickness and, and, and discomfort and stretch marks. But saints, at the end of the day, God is using the natural to accomplish the supernatural. He's using just a young woman, just somebody who would say, as you have said it, let it be done in me. As you have spoken, let it be done. And I want to close with this point. That word, episkiazo, it is... It's used only five times in the Bible, one of which is this story with the conception of Jesus. Three are in the gospel's uh, account of the transfiguration uh, when the cloud shows up on the Mount of Transfiguration and, and the disciples who are with him are enveloped in its brilliancy. But the last time, the fifth and final time is in Acts chapter five. Now we know that Jesus is no longer walking around at this point, but this word overshadow is used. And you wanna know where? It's used at a time when the church is still in its infancy, but there were those who had been in the upper room. There were those who had uh, given themselves over to what it was that the spirit wanted to do. And while the sick and the lame were, were in such throngs and, and such uh, masses that not everyone could even be prayed for, not every need could be met with the laying on of hands and all this stuff, but you know what God did? God started to use his disciples in a new way. And Acts chapter five tells us that as Peter would walk the streets, that his shadow would fall upon the sick and the lame. And it says, as they were overshadowed, as they were apischiazoed, they were healed. At that point, Peter's shadow wasn't his shadow anymore. He had gotten to a place where 
he no longer stood in the way between heaven and earth. And so whatever shadow was cast from him wasn't really the absence of the light behind him, but rather an accurate portrayal of what that light wanted. And saints, I believe with my whole heart that this is what he's calling his bride to be. You see, the, the, the desire to want to cast your own light, the desire to want to be out in the light, in the limelight yourself, that was Satan's problem going all the way back to the, the original fall when he took a third of heaven with him. Why? Because he decided it wasn't enough just to reflect the glory of God. He wanted the glory for himself. Well, I'm not going to stand in this God's shadow anymore. And stepping out and seeking the light for himself landed him in the darkest place there would ever be in all of creation. But look at what happened to those who chose to stay under the shadow of his wing. Look at what happened for Mary who submitted herself to the overshadowing. Let me give you one last thing to write down before you stand. And that's this. God is the only one whose shadow makes us brighter. He's the only one whose shadow makes us brighter. He is the only one, Moses, being hidden in the cleft of the rock on the mountaintop when the glory of God shows up. And that cleft, I believe, was hewn out by the Lord himself so that Moses could come in. And yet in its shadow, comes back down so illuminated that he had to wear a veil over his head because the glory coming off of him would kill people who looked at it. That's the glory. That's the glory. Let's stand up. Let's stand up. Listen, we're not even in a rush. We got plenty of time. But I do want to ask this morning, I can't, I can't go this deep. I can't lower a bucket down this well without asking if there's anybody thirsty. And so first things first, if you're here and the Lord has been speaking to you about something that is beyond your ability, that the Lord has been calling you to a place that requires more than what you could excuse yourself with naturally. I think the Lord wants to do something supernatural. And so if that's you in this house and you say, Zach, I, I need to lean in. I am Mary saying, how can this be? How can this be? You know my life. You know my situation. God, how can this be? How can we even be having this conversation right now? Are you sure you got the right girl? If that's you, I want you to step out of your seat and meet me at this altar this morning. This is a lot of people in this room. And with what God is doing right now, I would be foolish to think that there wouldn't be some people in here who are, who are receiving a call. You may be in a season of your life when you are there, you are in the room. 
and the voice of the Lord is echoing off every wall. You're favored. You're favored. You're favored. Saints, I want to challenge you this morning. Don't stop with the favor. Don't be satisfied with just being favored. Because right around the corner, right past the step of submission and surrender is the blessing of his kingdom coming. Maybe you believed God when he called you, but you're in this room this morning and and you've already set out to accomplish some of these things in the natural. Maybe you can identify with Abraham this morning. And maybe you have created for yourself what feels like a world of problems because you have tried how, because of how you've tried to answer a spiritual assignment with natural answers solve supernatural problems and if so this is where he gets to supervene this is where that surrender and that submission opens the door for the Lord to come in and come over if there's anybody in here and you say yeah there was a time There was a place in my history when God was speaking to me and the promises and the call and the destiny were so clear. And yet somewhere along the way, I made some decisions and maybe you even made them with the best intentions, with the best heart. And the elders, we talk and we kind of joke about how many people want to help God. (laughs) I'm going to help you out. Maybe you can look back on a season when you tried to do that and it ended up changing the trajectory of what God wanted. But I want you to know this morning, he's here this morning to change it back. If that's you in this house, get out of your seat and get down here. The same God that called you has been waiting to railroad you. It's my favorite one. God's done it to me so many times. It's not what I assumed or expected. It's never what I prayed for. It's not the intervention I sought, but something greater was at stake. And finally, saints, if there's anybody else in here, and I know you're like, Zach, it's getting so old, all this talk about order. I will stop talking about order when we are all in it. The superimposing of order. It is so easy to be a human and have your life out of order. And can I tell you that I am not standing up here as one boasting about the order in which I live. I'm working on it. But it seems like the Lord never runs out of things to convict me of. All of that's perfect. The only problem comes when I get tired of being convicted. And when I turn a callous heart and a deaf ear to that still small voice. So this morning, if it's you, answer that beautiful,
beautiful invitation that Jesus describes. He says, oh, how I've wanted to bring you, Israel, under my wings like a hen does with her chicks to overshadow you, to put you in a place where you can rest, to put you in a place where this is not the amount of light that you can come up with in and of yourself, but it's the haze of brilliancy. It's the cloud of his glory. If that's you this morning, come down and let's enter in together.
desires of my heart. Transform what I yearn for, what I long for, that it would just be you, that it would just be for your kingdom to come. Lord, railroad us this morning. No matter how far down the path or down down the track we've come or gone, Lord, I pray this morning that you would meet us right here in this place and that you would hear from our hearts as you have spoken, so let it be done in me. As you have spoken, so let it be done in me. And everywhere you sit becomes a throne. And everywhere you rest is a place that you reign from. Come descend on us like a dove. Find in us a place for your presence. Take me to the throne room. It's where I long to be. Take me to the throne room. Where striving has to cease. Take me to the throne room So I can bow before the glory seat in your throne room There is peace Here within your glory People change The kind of filling up the temple Till nothing else remains Take me to the throne room where striving seems. Find us blessable in the way that your kingdom can come in us and through us, Lord. That your glory can come over us and overshadow us. Oh, we submit to you and what it is that you want to do in us, Lord. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for all the prayers for intervention that you've answered. But Lord, I pray that 
this morning that we would be called up higher past intervention to supervention, Lord, that we would be called up to a place where you can, can do something that's unexpected and unforeseen, that you can move in a way, Lord, that no one planned or prepared for, but God, that ushers in your throne that much more. We give you all the glory and all the honor, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. This is Pastor Zach, and you've been listening to HPC Sermon Notes. Love you guys. God bless you, and have the best day of your life.